Listen, when Lloyd A. Thompson and Mad Mike grab mics, it's real sports, real talk, on the field or on the court. If it happened in New York, it's covered like a blanket, dog. Interviews are ill, simply up close and personal. Batter up, Lloyd's batting first, set the tone. Mike see the right the stadium with a guard and on the phone. Here we go, Giants of Jets, Yankees of Mets, Knicks of Nets. This is only an intro, the show is next. What it do, listeners? Today is Monday, June 18th, 2018, and me and the Mad Mike would like to welcome you to this week's Lloyd A. Thompson and the Mad Mike Sports Talk Show. Listeners, to all of you that are fathers, happy belated Father's Day. I hope you guys had a great and enjoyable Father's Day. Love and blessings to you. Listeners, the show airs on Mondays from 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and of course at LloydAThompson.com. So be sure to hit that subscribe button so you won't miss a damn thing. And me and Matt Mike are also on social media at LloydAThompson, one word on Instagram, and LloydAThompson, one word on Twitter. Be sure to hit that follow button. That's L-L-O-Y-D for those who misspell my name because everybody does it, so don't feel bad. I'm just helping you guys out. If you have any questions that you'd like for me and Mad Mike to answer, you can please shoot them through email to void at parkmyfresh.com or you can send them directly to the website. And as always, listeners, exciting show for you today. Me and Mad Mike are going to do our NBA mock draft just before the NBA draft that's taking place this week. We're going to touch up on that and we have our very good friend, Joe Barrera, sports columnist from the Sporting News, calling in to talk Mets, to talk Yankees, and see why the Mets are on the decline and why the Yankees are on the incline. So as always, guys, let's buckle up, sit back and relax, and start spreading the news. Hey, yo! Let's get it! Ladies and gentlemen, it's Monday. That means it's time to talk sports with Lloyd A. Thompson and Mad Mike. Let's go. As always, we got to find out where the Mad Mike is and where he's calling from today. Yo, Mad Mike, where you at today, baby? Yo, I'm on the road. I'm driving down to D.C. trying to catch this uh, 4.30 makeup game. Unfortunately, you know, I was in the game that got rained out, and I'm trying to get there, but dealing with a lot of lot of nonsense on the roads, man. All right, so we have our good friend Joe Rivera. Sports columnist from the Sporting News calling to talk some baseball after the break. But we also have the NBA draft coming up this week, Mad Mike. So we're going to do a quick 10 I mean, first 10 picks, our mock draft, the first 10 picks of the mock draft for the listeners. So you ready to get that cracker lacking? Yeah, I'm, I'm with it. All right. So the first pick goes to the Phoenix Suns. All right. So with the Phoenix Suns, I'll go first. I got the Phoenix Suns. I know there's been talk about Luka Doncic, you know, but I'm going to go with DeAndre Ayton, center from Arizona. I think he makes the most sense for the Phoenix Suns. He's a big man that can stretch the floor. He crashed the boards. You know, he has a nice jump shot for a big man, and I think that's just what Phoenix needs to go in the right direction. So I'm going to go with DeAndre Ayton, center out of Arizona. I'm going to go with DeAndre Ayton, too. Um, I just don't know what Luka Doncic is yet. 
I know that everyone says he's the number one talent in the draft. Uh, I know that that Phoenix, they have guards, man. We 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 don't know if you know. You, you can't pass on the center of this of this talent right now. You just have to you have to make the pick. Uh, Phoenix gets Aiden. All right. So the number two pick goes to the Sacramento Kings. Who do you have the Kings taking in your mock draft, Matt Mike? I have them taking Marvin Bagley the third. I just think that. They, they're a team that they're, they're kind of like the 76ers, right? During this whole process where we're just going to keep taking big men until, until one sticks. I don't necessarily think that they're, they're, they're satisfied with the way Willie Cauley Stein, um, has developed over the, over the first three years of his career. So I think they're going to go badly. I'm with you on this. I agree with you 100%. I think Sacramento is going to take Marvin Bagley the third. If there's one weakness, I mean, outside of all the weaknesses that they do have, being that they drafted De'Aaron Fox last year, it would be hard for me to see them draft another guard. But, I mean, it wouldn't be a bad pick. At one point, I had Luka Doncic going number two. But, you know, you bring up a great point, you know, as far as Carly Stein's, you know, uh, you know uh, um, progress. So I'm going to go with Marvin Bagley III as world power forward from Duke. Uh, the third pick goes to the Atlanta Hawks. And I have them pick, picking Jaron Jackson Jr., power forward out of Michigan State. Um, I think he helps his team. And, you know, again, the Hawks are another team that needs help at every position. But I think that the Hawks go with Jaron Jackson. And, you know, they build from there, Matt Mike. Yeah, you know, um, I, was, I was torn between Jackson and Bamba here. But then news just popped up that the Hawks are actually in trade talks with, with the Nuggets to try to land Fareed uh, ahead of the draft. And I, I think that that's where eyes on Luka Doncic, if you ask me. So with that in mind, if the trade doesn't happen, I agree with you. But with that in mind, I'm going to put Luka there uh, and say that they pull off a Ken Fareed trade at power forward. Okay, fair enough. Look at that, man. Mike throwing some trades in there and giving you guys the juice. So the next pick goes to the Memphis Grizzlies. Who do you have the Memphis Grizzlies taking in your mock draft, Matt Mike? Um, there I'm going to go with Jaron Jackson Jr. at power forward. I just think that, I mean, look, they need everything. They need help everywhere. But being that they fired Fisdale, they chose uh, Marcus all over him. I think that you need to now find him. A re they never replaced uh, Zach Randolph, right? So I think you, you need to get him that help. And uh, Jaron Jackson would be perfect because he, he's like, you know, he's not as heavy as Zach, but he's like Zach where he can go inside, he can step outside if need be. So I'm, I'm going to go with uh, Jaron Jackson to Memphis. All right. I got them taking Luka Doncic. At one point, I had Luka Doncic, you know, going at as high as two. Uh, but I think, you know, with everything that's going on, I have them bumping down to going four. I think, you know, Memphis has a big man like you. I can see them going Jaron Jackson as well because of the, um, oh, man, what's his name? You just named Zach Randolph situation. But, you know, him and Mike Conley, they make up a really big, uh, a really good backcourt. And, that, and they could be, you know, Luka Doncic is as advertised. You know, that's not a bad backcourt for the Memphis Grizzlies. So I got Memphis taking Luka Doncic with the number four overall pick. So that number would be a steal, man. Yeah. I, you know, I didn't think about that because if you don't, because that's the knock on Luka Doncic, right? We don't know if he's a point guard or, or a shooting guard. We know he's a top talent, but we don't know what, which position he's going to excel at. Well, Memphis, 
would hedge their bet. You, you know, Mike Conley will will basically say, hey, if you don't, it's kind of like Frank, right? If you don't have those point guard, uh, if you don't have the strength or quickness to be a point guard in the NBA, then seamless shooting guard. It, it won't even be a problem. You know, that's a great pick. I, I didn't even think about that. All right, here we look at Matt Mike giving me some props, people. Listen to that. Admire that. So, <laughs> all right, number five. The Dallas Mavericks, Matt Mike. I got the Mavericks taking Mohamed Bamba sent out of Texas. I think, you know, Dallas needs help at the five. I think this young man comes in. He fits the bill. He's long. He's rangy. He's athletic. You know, obviously you see what he does on the defensive end of the court. And I think that really helps out. You know, and it's not really a bad tandem with Dennis Smith Jr. You know, I know Dirk Demisky is on the downside, you know, but. You know, he might have, a you know, a, a two or three more years left in him. So this wouldn't be a bad pairing with those young guys. And Dallas, let's face it, you know, I, they're not that bad of a team. So I think, you know, he puts them, you know, back, you know, I wouldn't say the forefront, but he definitely has them moving in the mic di right direction. So I had them taking Mohamed Bamba sent out of Texas. Yeah, we're, we're in agreement. Um, I, I'm on record already saying that that the top five guys that we named, they're going top five. Uh, however they go, uh, you know, is, is up for debate. But these are the, the clear number five top players in, in, in the draft. I think Mohamed Bamba has potential to be the number one overall uh, talent in the draft uh, as soon as his offensive game refines. And nobody questions if it will. It's just a matter uh, of when it does. Uh, like you said, I mean, Dallas, look, Dallas has been searching for a big man. They traded for Nerlens Noel. They, 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 you know, if you recall, they uh, signed uh, DeAndre Jordan uh, from the Clippers. Uh, he signed the, 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 the offer sheet with them or, or whatever it was. And then they went, remember, they, like, locked him in his house and convinced him to, to renege on his agreement. Right, Chris so Paul ain't even there after doing yeah. all that. Neither is, so uh, whatchamacallit, Blake Griffin. Both them dudes is gone. Yeah, so, you know, if you think about it, they've been chasing centers for the last three years. Um, they finally get it right with Bamba at five. All right, so here we go. Now we're going the second half, you know, six through ten, and Orlando Magic picks number six. And, you know, this is somebody that I think, you know, I'm going to go with Trey Young, a point guard out of Oklahoma. I don't know. I think this is just a sexy pick for Orlando. Um, you know, I don't know if what Trey Young has done. You know, you've seen both. You've seen two sides of Trey Young in college, Matt Mike. You've seen a Trey, one that, Trey Young that can light the net up. And then you've seen a Trey Young who can have his heart ripped out of his chest. And he's going to be playing in the league where that can happen on a night-in, night-out basis. But I just think this pick is sexy for Orlando as I have the Orlando Magic taking Trey Young, point guard out of Oklahoma. Yeah, the, the sixth pick is where I think nobody knows. Um, this is where the draft changes, right? So, uh, you know, in real life, n uh, nobody knows what's going to happen at six. Uh, I do agree with you. Orlando needs a point guard here. And um, it's just a matter of, like you said, uh, uh it's either Colin Sexton, who who has an NBA body but doesn't have an NBA shot, or it's going to be Trey Young, who has, you know, an NBA shot and doesn't have an NBA body or defense. Um, I'm going to go Trey Young simply because he's the sexy pick. He's a sexy name, and the one thing that we do know is when you go with the sexy name, uh, if he doesn't pan out, the fans are usually a little more tolerable, and and that means uh, GMs and coaches get to keep their jobs. So Trey Young. 
Listen, listeners, I'm telling you, I mean, me and Mad Mike love each other, but, you know, you need to mark this date down in calendar's history because we are actually agreeing with a lot of these picks thus far. So that's a good thing when we agree, but I know you guys love it when we disagree. So let's keep it moving, Mad Mike. The number seven pick goes to Chicago Bulls. I'll let you uh, run on who you got them picking with the number seven pick in your mock draft. Um... Honestly, I, I, I've been canceling Michael Porter Jr. to the Chicago Bulls um, with Zach Levine now moving full-time uh, shooting guard. But I just think you, you, his hip is a problem. Guy just had to cancel his workout. Um, so I don't know. I'm, I'm going to keep him there, um, Michael Porter Jr., because I've been saying it, but... I, I don't know if this is good. I have a feeling this guy's gonna gonna fall. All right. So I because of Michael Porter Jr. Uh, hip situation, I got the Chicago Bulls taking Wendell Carter, power forward slash center out of Duke. Um, you know, I think at some point you don't know what's gonna happen with Robin Lopez, but for now you could put him alongside Robin Lopez at the four, and um, you know he's he's developing you know a really good jump shot. Um, you know, so we'll see what happens. So, you know, with the Michael Porter Jr. situation happening, I think that then knocks him down. And I think the Chicago Bulls take Wendu Carter, you know, uh, power four center from Duke to play alongside Robin Lopez. So that, that's what I'm going with the Bulls taking Wendu Carter Jr. But I definitely agree with you. You know, at, at, at once you get to six, it's like, you know, it, anything can happen. So, but I got them taking that. So the number eight pick. Goes to the Cleveland Cavaliers from the Brooklyn Nets who continue to give all their top picks away and make other teams in the NBA better besides themselves. I got the Cleveland Cavaliers taking Michael Porter Jr., although I know I had them taking Trey Burke. At one point, I heard had them taking Richie Sexton, uh, point, you know, guard from Alabama. But despite the hip injury and, you know, I had them taking Michael Porter Jr., small forward out of Missouri, man, Mike. Yeah, um... I'm I, I'm good. I went with Colin Sexton here, um, only because I just I think that uh, you know what I'm I'm gonna change my my mind right now. I'm gonna go with Mikael Bridges uh, to Cleveland at eight. I think that um, they have to draft a replacement in case LeBron James decides to leave, and even if LeBron James decides to stay, Mikael Bridges can play shooting guard. Um, he provides defense. Um, he's a kind of uh, kickout player that LeBron would thrive with. So I'm going to put Mikael Bridges at 8 to Cleveland. All right. Now, I hate this. You know, I mean, as Knicks fans, we hate to see that happen. And I know that hurts your heart to have Cleveland yes, taking him at 8 because this is a player that we actually wanted the New York Knicks to pick at number 9. So this is how I'm going to break it down, man, Mike. I'll let you pick. First, with the number nine pick, who you have the Knicks drafting and your mock drafting, and I'll go after you. Go ahead and fire away, man, Mike. It's not fair. Um, folks, I think the New York Knicks are going to get smart, and they're going to let the $19, $20 million center that they currently roster opt out and walk. I think they're going to take Wendell Carter, and they're going to pair. They'll give you an athletic um Power forward center combo with uh, K, uh, KP for years to come. I think it's going to be Wendell Carter. And 
Uh, I know, guys, I said the Knicks need a wing, but they could take their savings and they can go and get that wing in free agency or they can save the money and keep playing uh, hard away for another year at the three. All right, so being, my heart to say it. All right, so Wendu Carter was still on Mad Mike's board, but he was taking off on my board as I had him going seven to the Chicago Bulls. And I'm going to go with Mikel Bridges, uh, shooting guard, small forward out of Villanova. I think he fits with the, with the Knicks' need. You know, he can shoot, he can defend, and he can dribble. I mean, although there's been a knock that he can't create his shot that well, but I think he fits in well with Pazingas. And the Knicks, let's face it, the Knicks haven't had a true small forward in such a long time. Not really such a long time because Melo was a small forward, right, Mad Mike? But sometimes they had him play the four. But, you know, I think he's what the Knicks need. You can't go into the season playing three guards, man. You can't do that. With a you know with a guard at at point guard shooting guard and small forward that's just not going to work for this team. Get somebody there that's a true small forward, you know can fill in. But if Cleveland somehow takes Mikel Bridges, then I have you know uh, the Knicks taking Michael Porter Jr. But for now I have Michael Porter Jr. going to Cleveland, so I'm gonna you know I got the Knicks taking Mikel Bridges, which I'm sure we both hope that's actually going to happen, Mad Mike. Yeah. I think the key is, is Chicago. I think the key there is Chicago. If if Chicago takes a small forward at seven, then I think that we, I think the Knicks start considering, you know, their options because I think Cleveland, unless Cleveland takes the point guard to finally replace Kyrie Irving, um, I think I don't think Cleveland can come out of this draft without either placing Kyrie or placing replacing uh, LeBron James. I just don't. I, I mean, their roster is built as uh, where they can't handle. You know, I guess not. Not one of those guys have to be replaced. I, I think we both agree on that. All right, now, so the number ten pick goes to the Philadelphia 76ers, Matt Mike, who seem to have a top ten damn pick almost every season. But they get this pick from the Los Angeles Lakers, and I got them taking Lonnie Walker, shooting guard out of Miami, Matt Mike. And uh, I only have them taking that because I think JJ Redick is going to skate. I don't know where he's going to go, but I don't really see him returning. And I think they need to replace him. And I think Lonnie Walker is the man. But again, like you said, you know, with these picks, you never know. But I got them taking Lonnie Walker on my board, shooting guard out of Miami. I, I got them taking Lonnie Walker as well. And, and for uh, I think for different reasons, um, I, I think that they could use a point guard. I don't think that they know what um, Markel Fultz is, especially – now that you hear that uh, Brian Colangelo is the guy that wanted uh, faults when everybody else wanted Tatum. Tatum's a shooting guard. Uh, Lonnie Walker's a shooting guard. So clearly everybody else in the room besides, besides the, the man calling the shots knew that shooting guard um, was a long-term problem. Um, so I like Lonnie Walker there. The other, the other person I was looking at for them was Miles Bridges. But Miles Bridges has no role for a team that, that you know, we know they're going to chase LeBron James. And they have Ben Simmons. If, if, if I don't see how you can draft him knowing what your intentions are. You, you know, the draft is always before before free agency, so you can't count your chickens, so to speak. You know that you don't know if you're going to get LeBron, but you can't draft a guy who's going to sit on your bench. So, you know, you draft a guy with the tenth overall pick, and you get LeBron James. This guy never plays. That that's a fair point. So with that being said, before we go to a commercial break. We're going to give you guys two quick bonus picks. The number 11 pick goes to the Charlotte Hornets, Matt Mike. And I have the Charlotte Hornets taking Colin Sexton, point guard of Alabama. But listen, as you may say, why, when you have Kimball Walker there, 
I can see at some point Kimmel Walker being traded from the Charlotte Hornets, and that's why I'm taking Colin Sexton with this pick, man, Mike. Um, I'm not mad at that. I'm almost, uh, uh you know what? Uh, it's a day for love, man. I'm, I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to go Colin Sexton because I think that uh, if you trade Campbell Walker, you can get more for Campbell Walker to fill other holes uh, a la small forward. Uh, so I'll go that route. Otherwise, I think that they're going to go Miles Bridges um, and and try to you know keep Kemba and develop Malik Monk at, at the two guard. Um, but yeah, I'll go Colin Sexton and say that uh, Kemba's getting traded for something, uh, something big time. All right now, so the number 12 pick Goes to the Los Angeles Clippers that they get from the that they got from the Detroit Pistons, who signed Dwayne Casey. Congratulations to Dwayne Casey. And at some point, hopefully, we can have our good friend Langston Galloway, who plays with the Detroit Pistons, uh, come on the show and talk about you know his new coach and what he expects of him, and if he's excited that Dwayne Casey's on board. But I have the Clippers taking Kevin Knox, small forward slash power forward from Kentucky. Matt, Mike, I think at this point with Blake Griffin being gone, you know, they need to rebuild that front court. And I think that Kevin Knox will fit in nicely into that position. But then again, like I said, it's a crapshoot. I can also go Miles Bridges here. But I got them taking Kevin Knox with the number 12 pick. Um, here I'm going to go Miles Bridges. Um, I just think that it, when you compare John Calipari players and you compare Michigan State players, uh, Tom Izzo players coming out of college. Um, I just think that Izzo players are coming out uh, better. I, I guess they're better developed and more ready to contribute right away. Um, I, I, we just, I just said mentioned uh, Malik Monk struggling with Charlotte Hornets in his first year. I can see Kevin Knox, who has an underdeveloped offensive game right now. Um, I can see him coming in and struggling um, at the NBA level out of the gate. So I'm going to go Miles Bridges uh, there, which makes me a hypocrite because I have Shy Gilgis Alexander. I'm not supposed to tell you this, but I have him there at 13 uh, where they get their Chris Paul replacement and he's coming out of Kentucky. So I, I just kind of tell you I'm a hypocrite, so to speak, um, point of throwing names out. All right. So there you have it, listeners. So the NBA draft is in a few days. So, you know, me and Matt Mike are going to cover this in our next show. We're going to take some questions in the next show. And then, you know, we're also going to compare our picks to see how close we were to, you know, if, you know, did, did teams think like we, you know, like we thought or did they not? So I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to what the Knicks have, the, you know, the, the pick that the Knicks have. I'm hoping that, you know, the, the, that they get this right. I'm praying that they get this right. But, you know, the verdict is out. We'll see. But, you know, with that being said, guys, we're going to take a quick commercial break and we're going to be right back with more of the Lloyd A. Thompson and Mad Mike Sports Talk Show. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, my name is A.O. Aaron Omar Baker, and I'm the producer for the Lloyd A. Thompson and Mad Mike Show. Listen, for starters, I want to say thank you for tuning in, thank you for listening, and thank you for sharing the show. If you aren't already subscribed to the podcast, you can do so on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, TuneIn. Just head over to LloydAThompson.com. All the information is there, and if you want to send a question to the guys, they'll answer it on a future show. You can do so at the website or directly by email it's lloyd at part of my fresh.com all right that's it real quick real simple let's get back to the show welcome back to the lloyd a thompson and mad mike sports talk show we have our sports guru 
Joe Rivera, columnist from the Sporting News, joining us to talk some baseball. Joe, what's going on, brother? How you feeling? And thank you for joining the show, as always. Hey, Lord, I'm doing well, my friend. How are you? I'm all right, hanging in there. So, you know, we're going to talk some baseball, and we've been waiting to get you on this show for quite some time now. Uh, I guess we can start off with the New York Metropolitans, who have been going in a downward spiral. And the first thing I want to ask you, Joe, and I'm sure Matt Mike has some questions as well, do the do the Mets even entertain training, you know, trading Syndergaard or Degrom at some point? Because we both know their minor league system is awful. What shouldn't it be around that, you know, at this point where they should be looking to get some pieces? Uh, you know, it's it's a loaded question. Um, if you're if you're the Mets, you got to look at it this way. If you're any team in baseball, it's hard to find an ace, right? Uh, it's it's almost impossible to find and develop that guy. The Yankees really didn't have one for a long time. You look all around baseball. There's only you know there's only so many guys with aces. So the Mets have two guys with ace potential. At least the Grom's been their ace this year, and Syndergaard still in his mid twenties, and he's got the stuff of an ace. He's got to uh, stay healthy. Number one, he's got to find and learn how to pitch. Number two, and just challenge guys with the stuff. He tries to be too cute. So that in itself is an embarrassment of riches to a point, even if it is the Mets. So they do have that going for them. But on the other side of the coin, they're by most uh, publications who rank farm systems and analyze farm systems there in the bottom of five uh, in all of baseball when, when it comes to their, their farm. So, uh, and then you have to take it a step further and say, well, if you're trading either one of these guys, is Sandy Alderson the guy to get? guys back um and and he's the guy that you saw last year they got nothing for jay bruce they got pretty much nothing from your walker um so so yeah i mean i think they should but even if they do it's no guarantee that they're going to get uh anything that they want especially with alderson um alderson would be uh making that deal now we've been i've been hearing tires being kicked joe about the yankees and, you know, maybe the Mets and Yankees to trade for DeGrom. Do you think that has any, you know, speed behind it? Do you think it's a move that the Mets should make? Or do you think it's a move that the Yankees should try to make? Or that both teams should make? Uh, well, you know, there are other teams out there that really need an ace, right? I mean, the Yankees have the ace at Severino. Uh, obviously, you're looking long-term and assuming you're making a pretty big assumption. But assuming the Yankees can make it, to the ALCS, and if you think the Astros can make it to the ALCS too, um, and the guys that the Astros are throwing out there, then you kind of need someone, uh, that 1A, to try and challenge. But, you know, you look at a team like Milwaukee, they really need an ace. Uh, they're another one of these teams with a pretty deep farm system. I think if you're the Mets and the Yankees, you have to entertain it. But at the same time, if, you know, if the Mets are asking for Torres and, and they won't budge off Torres, that's not going to happen. Uh, if they want Andujar, that's not going to happen. Um, you know, Frazier's a guy that's been dangled. Drury's a guy that's been dangled. Nobody really knows what Drury's uh, trade value is right now. But uh, I think they would talk, but I'm not sure how far those talks would go. And I'm not sure that he would even he would even get anything, any past the, hey, we want Torres, or, and then that's the end of that. So uh, on paper, on paper it makes sense, but I don't think it gets done. Joe, I, I was looking at a team, like you mentioned Milwaukee, and, and this is why I don't think that the Yanks have much of a chance, because I'm looking at a team like the Colorado Rockies, who, um, I mean, I guess the West is kind of 
all fallen off a bit this year. And they have a, a, a guy, being that they have Nolan Arenado and Trevor Story, looks like he's not a, you know, he looks like he's going to be a decent, um, if not above average, major league ball player. They do have Brendan Rodgers for shortstop and Colton Welker, um, their top two prospects. They, they can kind of dangle these guys. And if we're being honest, looking at the Mets farm system, these guys probably have more value than Andrew Har, than, than Clint Frazier, um, because, I mean, outside of Rosario, maybe uh, you move Rogers over to second base, but, um, you know, they have a need for DeGrom, too, and, and they seem like a stronger partner than the Yankees. Yeah, you know, and, and like I said, there's lots of teams in baseball where trading DeGrom, too, would make a lot of sense. I mean... Uh, even the Cubs, right? I mean, I don't understand the Cubs have have pretty much traded all of their their top guys are either traded or they're they're at the major league level now. But that's a move that make that would make a lot of sense for them. Um, Milwaukee, I think, would make a lot of sense. Uh, hell, the you Dodgers. Also, yeah, the Dodgers make a lot of sense if they think they're in it. Uh, you can even look at Boston. <laughs> that's a scary thought for Yankee fans. Boston, it would make a lot of sense too if uh, if if Dave Dombrowski didn't trade away, you know, everything and the kitchen toaster. So. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, now, there's now, a lot of I know teams. you mentioned Boston, but I don't know how realistic it is for them, even if they have the prospects, because um, when you think about it, David Price is making $30 million, $31 million. He's going to be crazy to opt out of that deal with that elbow. And you have Chris Sale, who's, what, going to command $250, $300 million? Uh, I mean, DeGrom is going to have to consider similar money, no? Yeah, but he's under control for, I think, another year or two. So it's not something that you have to worry about, at least immediately. Um, but yeah, I mean, those guys are the price is making, you know, tons and tons of money. And like you said, Chris Sale is going to be, uh, needing a big, big pay, pay increase and there Betts. too. And Mookie Betts. Yeah. They have, they have guys there that are going to have to get paid. But if you're Boston, <coughs> excuse me, if you're Boston, you're looking at the AL East this year and you're saying, well, you know, the Yankees are going to win a hundred and, you know, whatever it is, uh, 103 games, a uh, hundred games, whatever the number you want to put on it. We have to win 104, and if and if the Grom is the guy uh, after July, looking in August, then that's going to get them. Uh, that's going to steal a few more wins from the Yankees. Uh, that's going to hurt, uh, and I think that makes a lot of sense. But like I said, Boston's a team that uh, Dave Dombrowski notorious for trading away uh, young talent. He did it in Detroit, and he did it with Boston. Um, so I'm not really sure how realistic that is, but on. on at the same time, it's, it would be a move that makes a lot of sense, especially when you're, again, when you're looking at what Houston is throwing out there uh, later down the line, especially the one through five. Now, the Mets started off 11 and one, Joe, and obviously they've gone on a decline. What are you? What are your thoughts as far as to why that decline has happened, and what are your thoughts as far as you know Mickey Callaway is this first year as being a manager? Because sometimes. When I'm watching Met games and I look at him, he just seems to be a little lost, like a deer stuck in headlights. I mean, am I mis, um, you know, misinterpreting, you know, that that conclusion on him? You know, do you think he's doing a good job? Do you think he might be a little bit in over his head? And what's the reason as to why the mess of going downhill? I mean, I know there's been injuries and stuff, and that hurts, but you know, they 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 released um Gonzalez and then brought up Dominic Smith, who's been Dominic Smith. I mean, it's just. This organization just seems to not be doing anything the right way. Yeah, how much time do we have? I'm gonna have to. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna have to get down on a, on a therapist couch to explain all this. But uh, you know, long story short, it starts it starts from the top down, right? I mean, it, it has to start with the Wolpons, who in the New York market, I don't want to hear that they they spend money when they're getting bargain deals for Todd Frazier. 
and bargain deals for Jay Bruce and pretty much waiting out a historically slow free agent market to sign these guys. Then you got to look at Sandy Alderson, who, let's not mince words, has done an absolutely atrocious, atrocious job of uh, disregarding the farm system. Uh, and I understand that's not all on him. But oh, you mean Chris Young is not a good signing? And <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm not buying it, no. Uh, but you, you got to look at Alderson, too, who's a guy that has not really done a great job, even with the financial limitations. And again, I'll, I'll say this again. I think I've said this on this on this podcast before, but, you know, the, the Mets were a team that weren't seriously considering Yolanda Cespedes uh, as a free agent until – all the talk came out that Washington was looking at to sign him. And, you know, while we can say what we want about Cespedes now at that time, uh, that would have been catastrophic for the fan base. That would have been catastrophic for the team. It it just made too much sense at the time. So, yeah, we can look at Cespedes now and say, you know, maybe the contract was a mistake if you want. But at that time, it it made a lot of sense. And, yeah, I don't want to hear that the Mets are spending money when they're, they're getting these guys for, you know, peanuts. And Callaway's a guy that, you know, he hasn't had a great season, but when you consider the constant turmoil that that franchise is in, when you consider the rosters that have been put before him, uh, when you consider that they can't stay healthy, which is not on him, um, you when know, you I'm consider not... consider that they won't release Jose Reyes because he's yeah. making $1 million. Yeah, I mean, there's, it's, it's a whole, it's a, it's a mess of things. That's why I can't really... I can't really kill Callaway. I mean, he's done and then said some pretty silly things, you know. Uh, everybody was killing him over the pressure in New York thing, uh, pressure in New York comments. Yeah, it's not Cleveland, buddy. Everybody knows that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, the, the fish thinks from the head down. It comes from the top, and, and I don't think Callaway's been all that great. But at the same time, if you put Aaron Boone in Callaway's spot, uh, it's tough to see how, how well Boone would fare, too. Right, so it's yeah. Really, yeah that, I mean, it's funny because, you know, we say the same thing about the Knicks organization that it starts from the top as well. You know, it's from Dolan being a terrible owner, and it kind of trickles down. So I can definitely see that being the case uh, with the New York Mets. And, you know, so that this team, I, I really don't see a bright future ahead for these guys. I really don't. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, like I was, I was going to say before, if you're not going to go out and spend big money on Manny Machado this year for the Mets, which, let's be honest, is just not going to happen, then you have to be able to develop talent, right? And when these guys come up, I mean, Conforto had a, a pretty decent rookie year. His second year was, was pretty good. You know, he's hurt, sent down. Uh, he's been consistently inconsistent. Um, Ahmed Rosario just does not look like a finished product at all. Well, that's um, funny because that's, that's exactly what – I'm going to ask you the same thing that I've asked you numerous times. I'm just – because you just brought him up, and, and um, it's the only thing I have left because I really don't care about these, these Mets anymore. Um, but I want you to tell the listeners exactly what you tell me. Now, Ahmed Rosario was ranked higher than Glaber Torres, and he looks like half the player. Is it just me? I mean, he was supposed to be the better athlete, the stronger player, um, the better hitter, and everything we've seen in the field, everything we've seen with the bat, um, he he doesn't look anything like Labor Torres. Yeah, and and this is the thing that goes back to the days of Ike Davis, right? Um, and and even if that you know predated Sandy, whatever, what have you, but. Uh, for some reason, Mets prospects, they never come up and they never look ready. Um, and it's the complete opposite of the Yankees. These guys look ready. And while 
fans will kill the Yankees for not calling guys up early at times, but at least when these guys come up, they don't look they don't look lost in the moment, right? For Mets players, we've seen that so often. I mean, Michael Conforto is a guy that he's had great. Uh, he's had a great season. He's had you know mediocre seasons. He's looked mediocre this year. He's kind of breaking out of it now. Um, but you look at all their other prospects that came up. Uh, Rosario, like I said, I mentioned Ike Davis, who everybody knows at the time was was supposed to be the second coming. Everybody everybody thought that when he was coming up, especially with the Daniel Murphy stuff the year before. Uh, I mean, I. I Again, it goes back, if you're not going to spend the money, if you're not going to spend money on free agents um, to try and, you know, plug up these holes, and I'm not talking about the top phrases of the world, well, he's a solid player, he's not an answer. Um, if you're not going to spend the money on these free agents, then you have to develop, and you have to develop well, and you have to develop, uh, you know, no pun intended, but you have to develop home run talent. And if that's not going to happen, then uh, you're not really doing your job, you're not getting it done. I mean, I know, I know you mentioned Manny Machado, I mean, it's new. It's, it's not New York, but the Mets in general. Is that like an attractive place that free agents want to, you know, want to come to? Because if I'm Manny Machado, I mean, you know, obviously money is important, but I'm sure he wants to win as well. You can see the type of season he's having with the ball. Ba- I mean, he's having a good season, but the Baltimore Orioles in general is that something that he may want to entertain, even if they dangle him some money to come to New York and be involved with this nonsense. You know, it's a good question. I and I just think in general, uh, you know, players are going to go whoever gives them the most money, honestly. And Machado's no exception to that. Let's see. He's playing, uh, according to all the advanced defensive metrics, he's playing a pretty average to below average shortstop this year. But he was an all-world defender in third base, probably the best third baseman in all baseball. And I really think that was a move to try and increase his, his market or his, you know, the Orioles are looking at it as his trade value. And you pretty much double the amount of teams who are looking for either a shortstop or a third baseman, which, um, you know, makes a lot of sense. And Ken Rosenthal said before the season, and uh, he said it on MLB Now, uh, MLB Central and the MLB Network, he said that, make no mistake that Manny Machado would go to a team that needs a third baseman. So, um, and he would play third base. So if the Yankees are calling looking for a third baseman, the Mets are calling looking for a third baseman, and they're willing to pay you know, it's a joke for the Mets because they're not going to pay him $350 million to $400 million. It's just not going to happen. But if they ante up the cash, I don't see why not. But there are going to be other teams that are going to want to pay him that money who are just going to be better fits, who are better set to win now. Um, but if, you know, if, if a team like the Mets, if they shock the world, hell freezes over uh, and they offer more money, then I don't see why not. The Mets have Todd Fraser under contract, right? I'm assuming for another year or two. Where would they put him? Because they have a Matt Rosario as well. Like, how would that even work? Uh, Fraser's under under contract for one more year, and I want to say he's there for six million dollars next season. So it's not really unmovable. Is it seven and a half? I I believe. Okay, you know that's that's not unmovable, right? And Todd Fraser, we all know. Um, We know it from seeing him with the Yankees last year. He's a gamer. Um, he's a good defensive third baseman. Uh, he brings power. So a guy like Frazier, and I've said this before, if, if you know, the Mets were looking for a dance partner to get rid of Frazier this year from the Yankees, and I can somehow get him back, and I can move Miguel Andujar for a starting pitcher, that's something I would absolutely do. Wow. Really? Um, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm with absolutely. Oh, wow. Absolutely. Um, listen, I don't think Frazier's the type of guy that's going to break uh, a game open. I don't think he's a game changer, but 
I've said this before when I was in their clubhouse last year. He's just the guy that, you know, he, he's, he walks in the room and he's like a combination of Nick Swisher and Mr. Rogers. Like, he, he brings energy and at the same time, he, he knows how to keep a room even killed. And you can tell that playing with the Mets this year is just killing him. Uh, Joe, wouldn't, that ac- the- wouldn't that acquisition, uh, that would basically kill Tyler Austin's shot of ever getting another call up. Yeah, and I and I really never, you know, uh, Tyler Austin's a uh, he's played pretty well this year in spurts. Uh, I was never really on the Tyler Austin is a long term solution um, at first base, or Tyler Austin is is going to be a bench player on this team. Uh, I just never, never saw. It. Yeah, I, I just I really I never saw that. But uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, I really think Frazier's the type of guy that comes in. He brings hunger. Um, and I think that if you can dangle Miguel Andujar for a starting pitcher uh, while holding on to a guy like Clint, Clint Frazier and uh, Gleyber Torres, that's something I would absolutely do, especially when you consider Manny Machado as a free agent next year. It's going to be interesting because the Mets are actually, they weren't that far ahead of the Miami Marlins. We already know how putrid the Miami Marlins are. And, you know, <laughs> the, the Mets are very well falling behind the Miami Marlins. So we is going to see what's happening. Let's, let's change our focus to the Bronx Bombers, Joe. And, and, and this is a team that continues to win series. They, you know, they took three out of four from Tampa Bay. Uh, they had a rookie come up with the young man that Matt Mike was talking. What's the young man's name again, Matt Mike? Eliza. Yeah, that guy was throwing gas, man. So I just want you to kind of fill the listeners in on that young man. Um, me and Mad Mike were going back and forth about Greg Bird. You know, did, do the is this a point in time when the Yankees like, okay, we've seen enough. This isn't gonna work. You know, like what's going on with all that, Joe? You know, I think I still think Bird is is you know, he's coming back from another injury and you look at, you know, how little baseball he's played. <laughs> really between, you know, the last two and a half years, um, you know, it's tough to say, all right, let's pull the plug on it. Uh, I still think that he's got a future here. I think they very much look at him like the, as the first baseman of the future. And it's apparent that they really don't have any other options for first base. I mean, yeah, I understand that people are very high on Brandon Drury still, but Brandon Drury is not a guy that I really want to stick at first right now. I understand he's got versatility, but He's not a guy that I want to put there, at least long-term. And uh, in the future, you know, the Yankees are not a team that, that's going to go out and sign Adrian Gonzalez. It's just not going to happen. Um, so, yeah, I, I still think that Bird is here for the future. I think they look at him as that. Uh, he's breaking out of it a little bit now. He's coming around. He's having better at-bats. Um, but, yeah, I, I think Bird's here for the future. And, and the Yankees, they're just so they, – they can go any number of directions come the trade deadline. It just doesn't have to start and end with – Andujar and you know Torres isn't going anywhere, but Andujar or Frazier, uh, they have there's a million different ways they could go. Yeah, their farm system is pretty deep, you know. And and we was talking about this young man that pitched uh, against the Tampa Bay Devil Rays on on what was it Friday or Saturday, I believe. He, you know, his fastball was in the upper nineties. You know, he has a, a good slider. You know, a, a good changeup. Um, you know, they were saying you know, and they said he only walked a couple batters. Thus far in minor league, but he only went as far as double A. So it's you know, yeah, really, he only had four walks. He had four walks in fifty-eight uh, minor league which, innings which going into to that. So the goal from um, I mean, it's rare that a pitcher goes from double A right to the big to the big show, but he actually looked pretty good. Yeah, and I think Wasik is an interesting guy, um, and we've seen it in the past, especially last year, that the Yankees are not afraid to give guys opportunities that are hot in the minors. 
Uh, I know that this is, you know, it's branching really far off, but you look at a guy like uh, Kyle Higashioka last year, the catcher who was was hitting for power at AAA, and here's a guy that just, you know, seemingly came out of nowhere. And uh, the Yankees gave him a, you know, a 20, 30 at bat stretch where they said, all right, go out there and see what you can do. So it's not unlike them to give to give guys that are uh, hot or, or coming up uh, a shot. Um, you know, and, and again, I'm not sure if. Well, Isaac is a long-term solution in the rotation. I'd be willing to bet he's not. I could be wrong, but you know how um, 5'11", 160-pound, 165-pound uh, pitchers uh, not good long-term solutions. Yeah, I mean historically, yeah, not not in the starting position, uh, not in the, not in the starter spot. You know, you can slot him into the bullpen; might make more sense, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure what Loisica is long term. Obviously, he pitched well and he pitched well the other day. Um, but, you know, he, here's a guy that even though he, you know, never made a pass double way, uh, they gave him a shot. He pitched well. We'll see what he continues to do, but I'm not sure he's here uh, the rest of the year. Yeah, I was just going to ask you um, Loisica is actually somebody that was uh, out of the San Francisco Giants farm system. And,. Um, after basically missing two years of, of baseball, they decided to cut ties. And um, when the Yankees picked him up, he actually needed Tommy John surgery. So the, the, the kid has actually missed basically three years of, of his development. Um, I'm looking at him now, and, and I wouldn't say it, it would be a shame if they didn't keep him. They invested in his development. They rebuilt him. And, um, you know, would you see the Giants having any interest in him? You know, this yeah, is a guy that they once scouted and were high on. You know, and, and I can see where you're going with this, right? Um, if, if the, listen, if the Giants fall out of it, and we're talking about, you know, losing 15 games in a 20-game in stretch, and they're totally out of it in the NL West, then they're going to shop Bumgarner. Uh, absolutely, he's going to be out there. But uh, with the way that the West is shaping out now, even with the Dodgers kind of coming around, uh, that's still a really, really weak division, at least right now. And I know that the Giants are a few games under 500, but... Uh, they lost Longoria for two months. Yeah, and sometimes you got it. I understand sometimes you have to, uh, you know, sometimes your players go to other organizations and they figure it out and then they come back. I mean, you look at Tommy Canely here, went to Chicago and he kind of figured himself out. He came back and he's, he's been solid back here. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I can see them maybe, you know, bringing him back. Uh, they, I don't want to say they missed an opportunity in the draft, but there was a pitcher in the draft that they could have had. It was kind of like Bumgarn White, which a lot of people thought that they might go for, but they drafted the catcher instead, um, Joey Bart. So, yeah, I mean, I can see the Giants maybe looking at him and saying, hey, you know, here's an opportunity. Maybe we can bring this guy back um, if, he, if he really figured it out. But honestly, I think it's still too soon. Uh, I can see the Giants falling out of it entirely. But even now, being five games back of the Diamondbacks, and we saw, you know, the Jekyll and Hyde act that the Diamondbacks can be. And who knows what the Dodgers are going to be? I'm still not buying them long term. So, yeah, I could I could see that happening, and I could definitely see Bumgarner hitting the market, but it's still early. Now, you know, we've talked about you know free agency with the Yankees, and obviously, you know, Manny Machado has been tied to the Yankees, and Bryce Harper has been tied to the Yankees. And, you know, realistically, we'll probably say that neither one of those guys are going to be here. But for some strange reason, the Yankees being the Yankees and with this luxury tax resetting and with them not really having to touch any of the young nucleus that they have, do you think one of those two guys can end up in pinstripes next year? I still think if it's either one of them, I think it's going to be uh, Machado. I, I just don't with the way... 
that their uh, their outfield is kind of loaded right now. I understand that long term Stanton is not going to be playing left field, but um, if you want to play Stanton in left field, if Gardner decides to come back, uh, and then you know fourth the fourth outfielder kind of role, I, I just think it's too much too many juggling too much juggling happening there to get Harper into that spot now. Machado is a guy that I've been saying, um, at least when all this talk started up, that, you know, where is Machado going to go? He's a guy that I thought just destined to be a Yankee. Uh, you know, it just makes too much sense. Again, he's a guy that's an otherworldly defender. Um, he's still pretty young. You're looking at him, you know, probably going to give him an eight to 10 year deal, uh, which sounds daunting, but at the same time, he's a guy that's young enough to get that kind of, that kind of deal. And, you can slot him in at third base. He's, he's a great third baseman. The only thing that has me concerned is that he had some knee troubles very early in his career, so you think that that will take a tool on him later on. Um, even if they are you know, 100% now, that still takes uh, a few games away from your legs. Um, we've seen it happen before. So, uh, Yeah, I, I'm not really buying Harper. I still think Harper ends up in Los Angeles. I think that makes the most sense for him. Um, if he goes to the Dodgers, uh, I just think that that's, it's, it's almost a given now. I mean, Chicago has been rumored too, but I don't think the Yankees have that much interest in him. And I understand that people are looking at his average this year and saying, Oh, well, you know, what is Bryce Harper at the same time? This is a guy that's still putting the ball in the seats. Uh, all his advanced metrics are great. Um, so I think, I, I really think if it's one of the two, I think it's going to be Machado. And I still feel that way, even with the way Miguel Andujar has played this year. Now, does that mean so? Obviously, just just say the Yankees don't trade Andujar. If they trade Andujar, I mean, I guess you know I can see that happening. But what if the Yankees just can't? You know, they decide to hold on to Andujar. How does that even work out, Joe? Like, where will he play? Would they move him? You still have Drury. You know, if you have both of those guys, will you have to trade one of them to make room if the Yankees go after Machado? How do you think that whole this? You know, just put on your your wizard hat and see. You know, just give the listeners an insight as to how they will work that out. If I had to guess, um, I think Miguel Andujar is the odd, the, uh, he's the odd man out here. I, you know, and I understand he's played well, but at the same time, I just never felt that Miguel Andujar was a piece of the Yankees' future. I just never bought it. Um, I don't know why that is. I mean, obviously, they were always very high on him. Uh, but I just never bought that he was going to be the everyday third baseman of the next uh, 15 seasons. I just never saw that. So... Um, he's the guy that you could either, if you're feeling very confident in Brandon Drury uh, at the trade deadline this year to play third base, which is in natural position, you figure he's healthy, he's hitting around 300 at AAA right now, so he's uh, he's seeing the ball well. Um, then I think that he's a guy that you could probably trade at the deadline for a starter now. Who's going to be out there is the question. Nobody's really sure, but Andrew Hart is definitely going to get you. He's at least a starting point for a solid starting pitcher, so... Um, I think that he could go if you sign, uh, and or you could wait until the offseason, you sign Machado and see uh, what starting pitchers are available uh, after the season, and you could probably start a package with Andujar there too. So, uh, And the thing to remember about Andujar is that he's, I look at him and I see Starlin Castro, um, you know, and, and Starlin Castro is a guy who's a very, very aggressive hitter, a solid hitter, but an aggressive one. And when you look at up and down this Yankees lineup. Yes, there are a lot of strikeouts, but at the same time, there's a lot of guys that work counts deep. And Andujar was a guy that was barely uh, barely working three pitches per plate appearance, which is you know not great. And it's not what you want to line up where Aaron Judge is seeing you know pretty much a full 
full count every time he's up, or Brett Gardner was seeing uh, you know four four and a half pitches every time he's up. So his approach doesn't really fit what the rest of the lineup is doing, um, and it's apparent. So, uh, and then we saw what happened with Stalin Castro. So I'm not sure if that if the way that he plays his approach at the plate is really going to fit long term. That that was going to be my question to you. Um, defensively, he he's been. Uh, and I heard Paul O'Neill yesterday during the game say he's improved so much. And I don't see it. And when, when I see him play, I see a guy with, with sloppy footwork. I see a guy that, that uh, um, doesn't shit, slide over, doesn't use his feet well. He likes to go to the backhand a lot. And uh, and I don't know if you've noticed, but when he goes to the backhand on the transfer, uh, it, it takes him, you know, quite a while to, to uh, I guess, get a grip on the ball. And, and then he relies on, on the strength of his arm. Um, can the Yankees uh, realistically, uh, I guess, commit to, to his defensive deficiencies the rest of the year? I mean, to the average fan, uh, I know that he looks like he's, he's, he's good and he's getting better. But uh, defensively, defensive metrics tell us that he is not very good at all. Um, well, I actually did. I have noticed that, Mike. You kind of look at the way that when he pulls the ball out of his glove, he pulls it back away from his body. Um, he also has a tendency to, to underhand, three, almost underhand, three-quarter slot from third base, which um, it doesn't look pretty, and sometimes he can lollipop the ball over there. Entering today's games, um, Miguel Andujar is sitting in negative 10 runs defender, negative 10 defensive runs saved at third base per baseball reference. And that number, if that skyrockets, if he keeps up that trend to looking at 30 negative 30 defensive run save at third base. That's that's abysmal. Like that that is historically that is historically bad. Uh, third base play. I was going because you know, that's what uh, Chase Headley was doing last year, and they deemed um, they basically said we can't live with this, and they went and got Todd Frazier last year. Yeah, and and again, when you there's a lot that goes into defense, like. Sure, Derek Jeter did, you know, and I don't want to rag on Jeter, but, you know, Derek Jeter did get to a lot of balls, but at the same time, Derek Jeter, uh, could not, could, he, he did not, he didn't have the range. And, uh, Miguel Andor is the same thing. Yeah, he can get to balls that are around him, but he doesn't have great range. And that's where, that's partially where that defensive run save number comes from. Um, for that number, uh, to be that bad for what are we, 50 games through the season now? Uh, 60 games for the season. Well, uh, obviously for him because he's yeah, a star. Yeah, that's that's you know that's not good. <laughs> and then you're looking at that. If you think he's going to start, you know, 150 games this year, then that that that's just not a great that's not a great number uh, at all. Um, that's very 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 bad. So yeah, I understand when you see him play, you say, okay, well he's not as bad as you think defensively, but there's more defense than meets the eye. Now speaking of um I just want to you know talk about Aaron Boone. Um I wasn't, you know, not that I was against his hiring, but I also wasn't a, a big fan of his hiring and you know I thought to a certain extent, you know, he coached too analytically, but I mean he has his team playing really good baseball. You know, I touched up on last week that you know that I, I didn't think, you know, Judge is really you know, hit his stride. He's had, you know, spots, so I don't think he's really hit his stride yet. I don't think Stan has hit his stride yet if he does. And, you know, Sanchez is starting to hit the ball a little bit better, you know, and I, I just think that when those guys really, you know, come around and Didi is starting to hit the ball well, this team is going to be super dangerous. And, um, you know, how do you think Aaron Boone has, has been thus far as a manager, um, you know, with the New York Yankees? 
I, you know, the thing about Boone is that strikes me. There's a few things that are just drastically different from him and Girardi. Number one is demeanor, right? Uh, when you watch Aaron Boone's press conferences, this guy is just now. You can tell when Girardi was tense with the way he acted with the media. There were certain members of the media that just never appreciated the way that he, he treated them, to be frank. Um, so you can see that Boone knows how to navigate. He knows how to speak with people. He never seems... Uh, he never seems lost. He doesn't see, he speaks to the media well. He's very clear in what he says. I think the other thing, which is, it's kind of harder to gauge is that when he says, um, a guy is closer, when he says he sees something in somebody's swing, he means it. Uh, and he knew Gary Sanchez needed a couple days off and he's come back and he's had better at bats. Um, he's, he's played better. He's been better defensively. So, uh, you look at the, when, before the season, when he said, Hey, uh, I'm I'm a guy that understands that we need pitchers to go deep in ball games because we need our bullpen to be rested once you enter you know August September uh, and playoffs in October. So when he says those things, he means it. Look at CC today. Today's a game that uh, today's a game that CC probably doesn't get out of the sixth inning if Joe Girardi's managing. Let's be honest. And um, he went into the eighth today. So. Uh, you know, Boone is a lot of things. He, he's, I think he's done a very good job. He knows how to keep everybody involved, which is key on a roster that's as loaded with talent as this one is. He's, he's, he's a guy that um, you can tell he cares about his players. He cares about the job. He's very Tooley-esque in his approach and his demeanor. So I think overall he's done a really good job, and I don't think that – I think it's unfair when people say, oh, well, look at his roster, but at the same time, you know, if you look at his roster and trying to figure out, you know, who to bench, who to play, where to play him every day, that's not an easy thing to do. And when you consider most of the guys on the team are producing, um, that's impressive, especially for a rookie manager. Yeah, Joe, the, the one, I, I guess the one issue I have, um, and I, I'm not going to say that it's the media because it, it, it's, you know, I guess they play a role. You know, the media has to print stories. They have to. You know, this team is not necessarily giving them much story. Boom, like you just uh, spoke about, has kind of made the, the, the transition uh, seamless. Um, and Lloyd did mention, you know, a lot of these guys haven't hit their strides. Um, but outside of batting average, uh, there's nothing to complain about this team. I mean, this team is still tops in runs, home runs, um, runners in, uh, average with runners in scoring position. Outside of just regular batting average, um, it seems it seems that that uh that, you know they're producing uh, when it, when it means most uh you know Gary Sanchez he's had re- two really bad cold streaks uh sandwiched in between um you know he had that 31 game stretch got his 288 he has a 1070 OPS 11 home runs 30 RBIs basically carried the team through May um it, it seems timely the one that bothers me is Stanton because I don't know what Stanton is Stanton uh, uh last year was what was the best season of his career before that never hit 40 home runs in his career um the the concern was always he's never lived up to the hype never lived up to the contract and I kind of see that now I mean he's playing with the stance uh, he doesn't seem to know what's coming. He doesn't know if he wants to go opposite field or, or if he wants to pull a ball. Uh, the home runs come in bunches, but he just seems to me that he's been consistently inconsistent uh, or consistently average, really, for, for for who he is. Two forty five, two fifty hitter. Um, I don't I don't necessarily see the 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 hot stretch coming. You know that's not unfair, and I think what bothered what bothers Yankee fans most at seeing Stan play is. 
you can. It was obvious, especially in spring training. Even he even attested to this. He said that he was thinking opposite field, right? And that's where the exaggerated close stance came from. Where you could pretty much see the twenty-seven on his back, um, which is not something that you really want, or it looks like a comfortable way to hit. Uh, to be honest, so it's something that he's addressed. He's he's uh, trying to figure that out now. You see, his stance isn't as open, isn't as exaggerated. He's a guy that has consistently throughout his career made adjustments at the plate to try and you know get more production out of it. You know, uh, when you consider what Stan's making, um, when you consider the ballpark in which he plays, uh, if you put putting him and Judge, you know, three or four, whatever they want to, whatever they want to bat him, two three. Uh, you know, that, that's, it's, it's just sexy, right? That's what you think about. It's just, you know, that's 60 home runs potentially between both guys. And when you consider he's making what he's making and guys like Machado and Harper are going to be commanding $35, $40 million on the market. And you look at his deal and he's making $10, $15 million less than that. Um, I think it still makes sense, but yeah, he's the guy that, yeah, he hasn't exactly taken off to this point. I know that I was on another radio station. Uh, before the season, I said I don't see him. Uh, I don't see him hitting him and Judge both hitting forty. Uh, I think that there was going to be an adjustment period, uh, and you still you're still seeing it now with Stan. So I, there's a lot of baseball left to be played. We're, we're in June, obviously nearing the middle of the season. Uh, in the next month, I think he's going to figure it out. He's going to get hot. He's always been a streaky hitter. Um, you hope that it's not a mental thing with him, uh, which seems to be the issue. But, yeah, I'm a believer in Stan overall. Uh, he just hasn't shown it yet this year. Yeah, I don't know how he hits with that stance, you know, especially coming from somebody that plays baseball. Um, that's one of the weird, you know, I mean, it just, he, he you know, it's so hard to hit a pitch inside, you know, and he pulls off the ball on sliders. Yeah, uh, and, and it's, it's, been a, it's been apparent. And, and you see his, you compare his stance from earlier in the year to what he's doing the last couple games and, it's it's a lot different. It's not nearly as as wide. Uh, his legs aren't nearly as wide. Uh, he really wanted to get to that outside pitch, which um, to, to drive to the opposite field. But listen, if you're Stan, you're a guy that's as strong as he is. Everybody sees the home run. I don't understand why you're that concerned with the right with the right field seats. I mean, you're going to pull, you're pull the ball yeah, out. The other day, he had a one-handed yeah. home run. Yeah, and, and I, I get it, but at the same time, it, it's like. But you don't have to be thinking opposite field all the time. Just pull in, you know, I, this goes against one of my baseball philosophies. If your power is pull power, then just play to it. You don't have to worry about hitting. Uh, the, the pitch away will come and you'll hit it. But uh, if you can hit most of your home runs, pull. If they're going to pitch you inside to pull them out with laser beam home runs, then, then play to that. Uh, I don't understand why he changed his approach that much. And even last season, uh, when he was going through his struggles and he changed his stance to be a little more closed off, uh, he was still hitting the ball up to center field and he was still hitting the ball out to left. So he was still pulling on runs. That's just not something you've seen a whole lot of this year. Yeah, I did notice he closed his stance up a little bit. Um, you know, me and Matt Mike was talking about it. I mean, does he listen to the, the Yankees hitting instructors? Do the Yankee hitting instructors just leave him be and let him figure it out himself? You know, I mean, I guess that could be a delicate situation. Well, my concern was that my concern, Joe Lloyd, was that um, the Marlins coaches, their, their staff, their front office, they did not like when he changed his stance. They did not think that it was going to work long term. They just they were they were against it. It's something that he did on his own, and and that's what worries me. 
uh, just because you were right last year doesn't mean that 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 people that this is what they do for a living. This is you know this is what they 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 evaluate uh, players, their stances, their their tendencies. Um, I, I don't know if the Yankees are comfortable with it, but you know if the Marlins are right, then we're in for a problem. We have a problem. Yeah, and and I and I said it before. I really think that you know, like I said, he's a guy that's made adjustments his, his entire career, and. Even if the Marlins didn't like it, you see him trying to adjust now again, which you hope will solve his issues. But, um, yeah, I mean, again, if, if his power is his left field and center field, uh, I don't understand why he's so concerned with the short porch and right. I mean, I understand it's, it's tantalizing even for a guy that's that strong, but when you can put it out in the seats and left and you can put it out in the center with how strong you are, I mean, I, why, why worry about it? Listen, you take the left field approach and – if you get fooled or beat, you'll he can almost put it out in, out of right field by accident, accidentally on purpose. Yeah, he's playing in a smaller ballpark now, and Miami's a big ballpark. Where he was playing in Miami, it's a Yankee Stadium is much smaller. You absolutely yeah, I don't that. know. Um, yeah, and I, I, I only got one left, guys. Um, and and uh. It's it's quasi baseball, semi Yankees, but it's about Otani, man. Um, did we dodge a bullet uh, by this guy just deciding not to pitch here? And uh, I'm one that didn't think it was ever going to work. I just don't think you can dedicate, you know, three days, four days to him at DH and him still be able to get prepared for for a start. Uh, the swing, the tension in the arms and the elbow, the shoulders, uh, swinging a bat, especially to, as hard as he does. I don't see how. Um, he's ever going to fully be able to, to, you know, recover start to start. You know, this is something that if you were to tell people before the season, they'd laugh at you because they think that you just hate fun or baseball or something. But there's a reason that nobody has done, has been a two-way player in baseball in 80 years, right? And a successful one at that. It just doesn't happen. Um, especially for a player coming from Japan where, it's completely different. Uh, you know, you're talking about pitching once a week, which they tried to um, do here, and then you heard whispers that the manager and the general manager wanted him to pitch more. And then you consider that you have to pretty much not sacrifice, but you have to work your offense and you have to work positions around him and you have to work uh, an entire rotation around him. Let's not forget that there are you know five other guys in that rotation that are used to pitching on, you know, the extra day because of Otani. Now you're kind of taking that away from him because he's out of the rotation. Now what? Um, so you're hoping you don't bring these guys out, you don't tire them out. Obviously, the professionals are not going to say anything about it, but when you're a team like the Yankees and you have so many, you know, filled spots and, and you can't really take the time to uh, manicure your team for one guy, and the Angels were in a spot where they could do that because expectations aren't totally high, even with Trout on the team. So they were they could afford to take that risk, but if you're the Yankees, you had to worry about that. That's not just that's not a sacrifice uh, that's really worth having. Well, see, I guess you know, I guess it worked out for these guys. But Joe, I know, man, Mike was saying that you're covering the WWE event, Money in the Bank. So if you want to give the listeners, you know, your social media information, and if you have any predictions for, you know, the matches, you can let them fly now before before we let you go. Ah, man. All right. You can find me at Joe Rivera SN. Uh, I am, I'll be live tweeting that tonight. So uh, you can find me there. I'll probably put some tweets out and stuff there. Uh, as far as predictions go, it's really, it's really tough to say because 
this is one of those pay-per-views that's usually pretty fun, uh, all things considered. But this year, it just seems really predictable. I think Kevin Owens might win the Money in the Bank briefcase, uh, the latter match. I think Roman Reigns gets an easy win tonight. Uh, I think Daniel Bryan gets another win tonight. You know, it, it top to bottom just looks like a lot of predictable stuff, which is kind of what it's turned into. But yeah, you can find me at Joe Rivera SN. Glad we talk anything there. I really want to talk Jets. I was at Jets camp this week, so uh, we can talk about Jets Savior, Sam Darnold, if you want. Uh, yeah, you can find me at Joe Rivera SN. Listen, at some point, we got to bring you back again to talk some more baseball, but to also talk some Jets and Giants and to get your perspectives again, you know, to see how. You know, Donald looked and, you know, you know what the Giants are looking like. You know, I'm excited about the Giants this year, but I was excited about them last year, and we see how that turned out. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you, I'll give you a quick story. I went to uh, the last day of Jets minicamp this weekend. Uh, everybody's getting ready to pack up, and I, and I spoke with Jordan Leggett, who was their fourth-round pick last year out of Clemson tight end. And, you know, I was asking him some questions, and the last thing I asked him, I said, well, uh, how's Sam looking? How's everybody, how's everybody taking to him, man? His face just lit up like it was like a kid on Christmas. It was, um, said some of the, we're sitting there watching tapes and some of the throws he's making. It was just like, wow. So, uh, I understand it's spring. Uh, you're just getting through OTAs and mini camp, but it really seems like the Jets got a winner here and you hope that he can continue to develop and make some noise in the future. I mean, by any chance, you know, I mean, I hate to, you know, go off the topic, but by any chance, you literally think that, uh, he can be the starting quarterback come game one. This coming season? Oh, man, it's so tough to say. It really seems like with the way that they rotated their quarterbacks um, this uh, in OTAs and in minicamp, it really seems like they're going to want to give him both lots of experience with first-team offense. At the same time, they're kind of giving him every opportunity to try and win that starting job. But that's something we'll obviously learn and, and see more of come training camp. But... You know, I wouldn't be surprised if it happens. I, I still think the smart play is to play Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, obviously, you got to see if he can take a hit. He hasn't really taken a hit in two years. Um, but if that's the smart money is Teddy Bridgewater. If not, I still think McCown's got, got the inside track. But it wouldn't surprise me not one bit if Darnold wins a starting job. All right, now, so we're gonna, if you don't mind, we're going to bring you back and bug you to talk some football as well as baseball. Oh, you got it, guys. Anything you need. All right, Joe, thanks again for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Um, enjoy the rest of your day. We appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to call in. Yeah, you got it, guys. Thank you. All thanks, right, Joe. And that's going to bring us to the conclusion of this week's show. As always, me and Mad Mike want to thank you, the listeners, for hanging out with us on your Mondays because without you guys, there is no us. And we also want to thank our producer, A.O. Omar Baker, for keeping this thing going and we want to thank our good friend Joe Rivera sports columnist from the Sporting News to call in and give us his insight on what's going on with the Mets and the Yankees so guys me and the man Mike are going to see you in seven days we're going to cover this NBA draft that took place we're also going to take some questions from you guys so please have a safe and blessed week and we'll see you in seven days hey yo Let's roll, baby! And that's a wrap for today's show. Shouts to everybody for checking it out. Make sure you subscribe. Brand new episodes drop every Monday, 1 p.m. Eastern Time. And as always, check out LloydAThompson.com. Peace.